0: It is good to see each of you. We are reading through and studying through the book of Joshua. Now, we cannot look at every single verse of the text, or basically we would spend the message just reading through the scriptures. So it is important at home that you read through the book of Joshua and get familiar with this wonderful story that we're given of how God gave the promised land and, and how people start settling and and individuals who've been in slavery and they've traveled through a desert have now finally have a homeland. And we can identify with that in some ways. Think of something that was really important in your life to get settled, and you're looking forward to it, and you're praying about it, and it finally happens. That's what Joshua is about. They finally got to the place where God was giving them, and they were going to be able to establish homes, just homes, a place to live, a place to worship, place to raise families. Now that the land is settled, we continue. And today we're looking at Joshua chapters 20 and 21. So it's a long passage, but I'm really only going to look at the first six verses and the last five verses. So we're looking at chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, and then chapter 21, verses 41 through 45. If you have your scriptures, Please take a moment and turn to them. A number of years ago, in fact, it was year 2000, I moved to a little town called Waitensville, Massachusetts. Any of you know where Waitensville is? Raise your hand. Eh, We've got some who do. Waitensville is actually a section of Northbridge, but in Central Mass, it's known more than Northbridge, and that is because all of the downtown section and everything is in that area. It's sort of like Manomet is to Plymouth, well, it's a little bit more because of the fact that, that it really becomes the town center. The high school's there, the Christian school's there, the elementary school, middle school, they're all located in Whitensville. They also have the downtown. So if you go and you visit Northbridge, the larger town, or, or Whitensville, and you ask for the downtown section, it's all downtown Whitensville. What's interesting about the community is it has a strong Christian Reformed tradition. That's why there's a Christian Reformed school that's a large, prominent Christian school in that town. Now, Christian Reformed is a church that really is Dutch Reformed, but they changed the name to Christian Reformed because they wanted more than just Dutch people going to their church. But when we got there in the new year 2000 with this downtown, there was something else that was interesting in the town. They also had a family-owned department store. Folks, remember those? We used to have family-owned department stores all over the country. New York Times did an article on that department store. It was one of the last 30 remaining downtown family-owned department stores in America. That store, again, was owned by a Christian Reformed family, and the ethos of the community was really affected positively by so many families who were Christian Reformed. So much so... In the year 2000, not that long ago, stores were not open on Sunday at all in Whitensville. Go downtown Whitensville, everything was shut down. In fact, there was a big farmers market that that, uh, uh, big, um, you know, have their own farm and everything. That shut down everything totally. Finally changed because of a couple reasons. One is the family retired and decided to close their downtown department store. And so that kind of had an impact on the other stores around them. And the other one is Walmart Superstore moved in and really did change the culture immensely. But for a moment, my wife and myself and our kids were able to move back in time as we moved into this community, into a community that observed Sabbath. Everything shut down on Sunday. And it had a huge impact on how everybody in that community just viewed life. We don't have that luxury today. You can't walk out of worship today and expect everything around you to be shut down so that you and I as Christians can observe Sabbath. Instead, it becomes something that we ourselves need to be conscious of, and it needs to be a discipline that we practice. God gave us how many commandments in the Great Commandments? We know this one. How many? Ten. Easy. Yeah, so we got five fingers and no, ten fingers and ten toes. So it's an easy question. In those ten commandments, they're not suggestions; they are commandments. We are commanded to do a number of things. We are commanded to not steal. Pretty good idea. Don't murder. We get it. Don't have any god but God. We get it. We could go through all the commandments. Right there in them is good old number four. And so I'm calling our message today, remember number four. Number four says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's commanded to us as Christians. Now, I believe, and as we go through this message, you're going to hear me say that I believe that that's in our best interest. It's not just a discipline of something God's taking away from us. It's actually something God is giving to you. It's a gift that God is giving you, is Sabbath. The idea of holy means set apart. Get that idea? So God is holy. That means God is set apart. God's different than us. We're asked to have our lives be holy. So we just don't look like everyone else. Yes, we are part of this society, but we live a positive life. We seek to Forgive people when it's hard to forgive and and extend love and grace to every human being. That's all part of what it means to be a Christian, to learn to start having our lives set apart and to have a Sabbath set apart. That doesn't mean that you have to take Sunday and make it a completely different day. In fact, I had fun with our Saturday service. I looked at them and I said, remember this, folks. You are the only people in our church this weekend that if you make this just about worship, are following it properly because when that commandment was given, it was given to people who were observing a Saturday Sabbath. And so they all came to worship on Saturday. So it's about worship, but it's about more than that. Because God didn't say, remember the Sabbath and go to church for an hour. God said, remember the Sabbath and set it apart. Make sure there's a day in your life that doesn't look like every other day. And so now, for the next, I don't know, maybe half hour, sit back and relax and listen to a sermon about sitting back and relaxing. You get it? You go, I need a break. No, God tells you you need a break. So you don't have to say, I need a break anymore. You can say, God spoke to me and told me I need a break. You got it. You need a break. It's part of being a Christian is understanding that Sabbath and setting something aside is important. We work and things come to an end. So what do we do? We take on the next task. That's not what we should do. We should take a break. Program years come to an end. Schools have a break. And of course, every week is supposed to come to an end, but really does it anymore? Do people really live their lives that way? I actually don't think people do. I think we just keep... As a society, and unfortunately, it creeps into the church, we make every day like every other day, and we just keep going, and we wonder what's wrong. We start saying things like, I don't feel like God's present in my life, and so we ask the question, am I, first and foremost, observing Sabbath? Am I taking a day that's different so I can realize that God wants me to live differently than just a rat race of life? Now, a few years ago, I realized how hard it is even to get our society—not just to focus on Sabbath—to even understand something as basic as a calendar. I'm a runner, and so I wanted a runner calendar, ca- a running calendar, nice little calendar that had the week laid out so I could mark how I ran every day and I could plan my runs and all of that. So I went and I looked. I discovered something: every calendar started on Monday and ended on Sunday. I said, wait a second, Sunday's not the seventh day of the week, it's first day of the week. I couldn't find one that had Sunday the first day of the week. And I realized the reason that they didn't have Sunday as the first day of the week is because they were not looking at the calendar in terms of how we all live our lives. They're looking at it in terms of how to just keep going and doing more and doing more. So you work your five days and now you do more on the weekend and say so put the Saturday and Sunday together so that you can have a busy weekend after you've had a busy week. That's not sabbath folks. Likewise sabbath isn't getting up in the morning and having a fight with our kids and forcing them into the car and fighting all the way to church and sitting in church and getting angry at everybody else and leaving and putting a smile on her face and go wow I can't believe my life isn't better than it is. It's about setting aside time and making it different and learning to build Sabbath into our lives. And Sabbath is a day, a week, different. It's also taking a vacation. Yes, this is a sermon about God wants you to take a vacation. Take time off. So for this part of the message, I just have three words, okay? And this is about taking a day off once a week and taking a vacation. Are you ready? Because you're going to repeat these words after me. Just do it. Let's try it together. Just do it. God said, take a break. God commanded you to take a break. Turn the cell phone off, turn the brain off, learn that we don't have to just keep going and going and going. Doug Stewart, a professor at the seminary that I went to, Gordon Conwell, said, remember this, Sabbath is a gift from God to you. It's not another thing to do. It's a gift. God said, you can do all your stuff six days a week. One day, just leave it to me. Just give it to me. Just give it all. That's why we can take Sabbath. It's just a matter of trusting God. It's a matter of saying, I don't have to do that project. I don't have to do more. I don't have to fill my schedule with more. Because when we accept it as a gift, we start having a breather in our life. It's not about going to church and singing 24 hours either. That's not what it is. It's to set apart time in our life so it doesn't look like everything else, rather than wondering, why is my life so frustrating when I just keep busy and busy and busy and we've got our cell phones, and our cell phones just never allow us to have a break. You wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and you look at your cell phone and something new came across the newswire and you realize, because your cell phone was there, it shaked or beeped or did something, and that's what woke you up, and our minds are constantly going. God did not create us that way. God created us so that we could take breaks, say no, detach and enjoy life. Amen. 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 I like to say that every great sermon As a reference to North Dakota. So here's our reference to North Dakota. When I was a kid growing up in North Dakota, we'd drive out in the country and there are big farms there. People didn't own small farms. They owned sections. That's a one square mile. They would count their land by how many sections. So we had families in our church who owned 16 square miles of land. Those are big farms. And we'd drive and you'd see the sunflowers and you'd see the wheat and you'd see the corn and we'd come across these huge fields that were nothing, just dirt. So I said to my parents, why is, a, why, why is a farmer just have dirt? And my parents always explained the same way, and we learned then the same thing in school, that during the Dust Bowl, we wore out the soil. And we realized that if you just plant and plant and plant and plant, pretty soon the soil gets worn out and you get a great Dust Bowl. And so what we did is we made a couple changes in our country. We put up what we call shelter belts, which are these trees that if you drive out in the country, you see these long rows of trees to try to stop the wind. But the other thing is every seven years, they'd give the prop the land a rest. They call it summer fallow. So nutrients could go back in the soil. So right there in creation, in the very way in which our world is created, God says even the land can't just get worked and worked and worked. Otherwise, you just wear out the land. And so farmers discovered that they would make more money by leaving a field alone one every seven years, then trying to go constantly through, and then not having as good a crops. Hearing a principle here? Breaks. Vacation. A day that's holy, a day that's set apart, helps us to live the lives that God wants us to live. The background for this morning's text is Israel had finally settled the land. We've been talking about them coming in, and this is the land that they're going to get, and this is where they're going to live and they finally had settled all the land. They'd worked, they'd trusted God, and then they'd failed. They took their will back, and they did it their own way, and every time they took their will back, things went poorly. They would repent, they would trust God, things would get better. Then they would take their will back, they'd do it their own way, and things would fail again. But finally they got to the point where they put God first in their life, and God had established all of the 12 tribes all over the land. And now when... The last verse of chapter 19, we're told, they finished dividing up the land. You get it? Their work was done. Hundreds of years of planning. There, imagine being a slave in Egypt and just going, God, just give us a place. Give us our own home. They finally, Moses leads them out. They go through the desert. They get to the promised land. They're not ready to take it. They wander for another 40 years. They finally get in. Just think of the The turmoil, the labor it took. And now it's done. They've got the land. All the the different provinces are established, and the 12 tribes are dispersed among the different areas. It's an area about the size of Rhode Island. And now God gives them a commandment. What's interesting is the first thing that God commands them. What God basically tells them is what God is telling us in our lives. That Sabbath is important, but Sabbath is, yes, taking aside a day. Yes, it is taking aside a week or two for vacation, but Sabbath also includes taking a break constantly in our life so we can deal with big issues properly. Hear that? That's different. It's taking one day and setting it aside and learning to detach It's learning to take a vacation and and learning that we can shut things off and trusting them to God. But it's also more of a lifestyle for us in our life. It's also living in such a way that when those big things come in our life, and let's, let's do a show of hands here. How many of you ever had to make a big decision? Yeah, big decision. Or something really important happens. Sabbath is also learning to take a break so that we're in the right frame of mind to make that decision. You say they had worked, they trusted God, and now that everything has all been settled, now we come to chapter 20. And chapter 20 says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, say to the people, appoint cities of refuge. The first thing that God tells him appoint a city of refuge. And he goes on to explain that a city of refuge is because now that you're settled in this land, some bad things are going to happen. Somebody's going to get a fight with someone else. Somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody might get killed. What are you going to do? you Are going to just react and just vengeance immediately and rush in and make a mess of everything? says, nope, we're not going to do it that way. When something bad happens, we're going to have this city of refuge, and so the person who, who, say, somebody gets in a fight and somebody else dies, they can go to the city of refuge. They don't get exonerated for their crime, if they've committed a crime, but it gives a cooling off period. Just a time where that person can go and everybody can calm down, and then the text says, so that people can properly make the decision. So justice can be executed properly. Now that has to do with a city of refuge, but the same thing is true in all of our lives. We hopefully will never deal with something as major as a major crime, but we deal with stuff that happens in our life all the time that feels big and major and we rush in and we make a decision and we make matters worse. Somebody says something and they upset us. Rather than giving ourselves a cooling off period of time before we respond, we immediately respond. We get that text message and we text something right back and then we ignite a fire. I had a member who once made the front of the Boston Globe. Actually, it's happened a couple of times. And every time people have made the front of the Boston Globe in a church that I've served, it has not been a good thing. But this one, as I was a young pastor, and I was living in Lowell, and I got the front of the Globe. I started hearing from people in my church. Did you see what's on the front page of the Boston Globe? So I did what every self-respecting, naive, foolish young pastor does. I immediately called the family. Didn't get a hold of the family. Then I thought, I've got to do something. So I called their family out of state. Fortunately, God was in that phone call because that family did not have an answering machine, even though this was the early 1980s, and nobody was home. Because, see, I was rushing in to try to fix something or see what I could do. Later in the day, I got this phone call from the family, and they said, we want to talk to you as pastor. Be sure to say nothing to anyone, especially our family out of state, because we haven't had a chance to talk to them yet. Sabbath is learning to slow it down and not thinking that we have to react all the time. That immediately we have to go in. Just like Israel had set up these cities of refuge where God said, you need a cooling down period so we can properly execute justice here. It used to be email. Now it's text. Instant communication. Instant The moment somebody sends something to us, we can just turn around and we can send it right back. Therefore, if we want to learn to make Sabbath a lifestyle, not just a go-to-church-on-Sunday, but we want to learn to live the way Sabbath is built into the Scriptures, I will give you a Pastor Stan quote. When you are upset, take a 24-hour Sabbath before responding. I've learned that's some of the best wisdom I can follow. When something's upsetting, we don't have to deal with it immediately. Just calm down. Let the situation settle. Pray. Maybe talk to somebody to get some advice. It's amazing how much different things look the next day. Isaiah puts it this way in Isaiah 40. He said, "'Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men will fall exhausted.'" But those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Do you hear what the scripture is teaching us? Sabbath is giving things to God rather than thinking we need to deal with everything ourselves right now. And then we learn to trust God. It moves us from a self-centered life to a God-centered life. It says, I don't have to deal with this right now. Every problem that comes across my desk or my cell phone or my brain can wait. And when I do, I start learning to practice Sabbath. Because it's more than just a day and it's more than just a vacation. It certainly is that. It's about how we trust God and realize that when we take those pauses, when we take those breaks, we're given the situation to God. And a lot of times, God will work it out before we ever even need to deal with it. Like the one that I'm talking about, all got dealt with far before I ever needed to make any phone calls. All I needed to do was stop and pray for the family in my church. Another thing we learn about Sabbath is Sabbath includes keeping God in everything we do. That's really what it is. The reason we set aside a day is to give the day to God. The whole idea of Sabbath is the rest of the life, you you and I can run our lives and we can make a mess out of things. And one day a week, we can finally say, God, I've made a mess out of things. Here, I'll give you a week to straighten it out, our day to straighten it all out. And then I'll start making a mess out of it a day from now. It's about trusting God and it's about giving things to God. But that's not just something we should be doing one day a week. It's something that should be in our life all the time. And so in our text, when you come down to the end of our section, chapter 21, we're told an interesting thing. The cities of the Levites, as in the midst of the possession of the people of Israel, were in all 48 cities with their pasture lands. Then verse 42 says, each had its pasture land around it, So it was with all these cities." Hmm. Why are they talking about Levites and pasture lands and cities? Well, I'll try to explain. In Israel, they divided up the country. Think of it as the state of Rhode Island. And they had 11 tribes, and each of them got their different territory. So it's kind of like colonial America. You know, think of it sort of similar. So you have Massachusetts and Rhode Island and Connecticut, all these different areas. And then the 12th tribe were basically the priests, the clergy, the pastor stands, Pastor Josie's, of the community. And God said, what we're going to do is we're going to take 48 cities, they're actually little towns, and we're going to disperse them all over basically Rhode Island. Think of state of Rhode Island and then evenly disperse 48 little faith community churches all over Rhode Island so that no one lived more than 10 miles away from a Levitical city. Levitical city was like your church, your place that you could go to, a place where you could get a priest to pray with you. When life was difficult, you could go and have a break. You could go and you could offer your sacrifices to God. So wherever people lived, they knew that there was a place close by that if life got difficult, they could go there and say, I just need to get myself right-centered with God and get my life back in proper perspective. The pasture lands around each city is also interesting because I know that a lot of commentators will say, well, of course they had pasture lands because people would bring their donkeys and goats and whatever they were going to bring to the city and they needed a place for them. But it also refers to open space. It's like having parks. As I was reading that and thinking about this week, I was sort of thinking of our property here. How many times people will get upset about something and will want to come talk to me and instead of sitting in the office, we will take a walk around the parking lot. Or will go sit on a park bench over in front of my house. Let's breathe for a little bit and have a conversation and listen and pray. And that's what God was building in to these people of faith. And it's the same thing that God wants to build in your life and my life. How do we find those places and those times in our life where we know that when life gets crazy and hectic, we can have our own Sabbath. We don't have to wait for Sunday to go to church. You don't have to drive up to 29 Carver Road. It can be a walk in a park, a favorite park. It can be a mug. You can pick up a mug that's got a Bible verse on it and get get us right-centered again and remind us that God's in control. It can be different things for different people. It's how do we build that break into our life, that Sabbath, that rest, so that we don't have to hold on to everything and run everything and feel like all the weight of the world is on our shoulders. I was in a Bible study where we were talking about altars. And having an altar not just as something that's in a church where we would put offering or decorate it so that we're reminded that we're in a sanctuary— but altars in our own lives, of things that we set aside, this same kind of idea, something that we can look at, that, that we can get ourselves calmed down with. And a person spoke up and he said, oh my goodness, this Bible study is my altar. I said, what do you mean? And he said, every single week when I come to this Bible study, I hope that something good's going to happen. But it said sometimes, frankly, they're sort of boring and I don't learn a lot. Other times they're great. But it's my way of knowing that I'm honoring God. I'm just giving an hour every week just to come here and put God. So whatever's going on in my life, I know that, well, I'll kind of go think about it and talk about it when I go to Bible study. It's building Sabbath into our life. It's becoming a lifestyle. Rather than falling into the crazy of our society, it's learning that as Christians, we're invited to live a different way. The Israelites only had to travel 10 miles. 10 miles for spiritual refreshment. I guess if we go to worship every single week that we only are a few days away from having that Sabbath rest. But how about in your life? How close? How do you make it in your life? It becomes a personal question for each of us. How do you build something into your personal life so that you know that when life gets crazy and difficult, because it will, that you have a place that you can take a break? That's what God wants us to live our lives. Not busy and hectic and feeling like we need to do more, but learning to be able to say everything is going to be okay because finally, Sabbath means enjoying peace. It means enjoying peace. And we do that by staying in our lane. Not by thinking we have to deal with all the other problems that are out there, but learning to deal with what we have to deal with and give the other stuff to God. In verse 44, as our text starts to conclude, the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. They did their work, and God said, OK, enjoy. You're done with the project at work, enjoy. But what do we do? We get done with a project at work, and we say, i got to do the next project. We get done with the project at home, and we go, time to do another project. No, God says, stop and enjoy. You fix up your yard, go sit in the yard. Don't go paint the deck, go sit in the yard, enjoy the yard. That's all that God is telling these people. Listen, you did your work, now I'm going to give you peace, enjoy it. There was only one thing that could mess up that peace, themselves. All they had to do was go poke a neighbor and they'd be at war. That was their choice. Everybody's settled, everybody's happy, and everything is working well. You see, Sabbath means finding peace, but then the way we find peace is we start to reflect that God is good. The final verse of our text says, not one word of the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. They all came to pass. In other words, the people were able to stop and realize that God is good, and they were able to give thanks and praise to God, and that also is part of Sabbath rest, just finding those times in our life when things are going well, that we don't have to mess it up. We don't have to go talk to our spouse and say, you know, honey, now that everything is really calm, I'd like to talk to you about that fight we had two weeks ago, because I have a couple things I'd like to say about it. We mess it up when we do that. And yet Christians do that all the time. We just don't accept the rest and the peace that God's given to us. So for a moment, I want you to think of a very hopefully pleasant thought, but it may not be at first. Imagine you're driving north on Route 3 to Boston. And you have something you want to do in Boston. And you check your GPS and you can't believe it. There is no traffic. You barely see any cars going north. Now, there's quite a few going south, but nobody seems to be going north. And you're going to get in in record time. You can't believe it. You're feeling great and you're driving along, and up ahead, maybe a couple miles, there's an accident coming south. Got it? Your lane is clean. Traffic's good all the way to Boston. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in the biggest traffic jam you've ever been in. But nothing happened in your lane. As long as everybody just enjoys the fact that God gave us a great trip to Boston, we can all get to Boston, and we can all have a nice party. But instead, we all get involved with what happened in that other lane going south, and we're craning our neck and we're looking at it, and we're, we're we're getting on our cell phones and calling people. Can't believe what a bad accident I see going the other direction, and all of a sudden, our life is a mess. That's what our lives are like. God gives us peace and says, "Enjoy the peace." I hadn't seen a friend for years, and I met her up at Gordon College, and we're having lunch together. Wonderful, wonderful time. And all of a sudden, I remembered something really bad that had happened, and I brought it up. I think it happened 10 years ago, and the entire rest of our conversation went south. It was awful. Later, I talked to my good friend Greg, and I said, I don't understand why she got so upset. And he looked at me and goes, what kind of an idiot are you to bring something like that up? Stay in your lane. That's what peace is. Learning that God wants to build rest and peace into our lives. It's spiritual. It's commanded in the Ten Commandments. God wants our lives to have rest and peace. Now, I know David, our worship pastor, and my son is not here, and he always says, Dad, you need to tell some stories from pop culture, so I'll try one today. Any of you remember I Dream of Jeannie? There you go. I, I guess I've gone a couple years ago. Okay. Well, um, Barbara Eden, Jeannie, and Larry Hagman, the guy who's in the, the um, Astronaut. Barbara Eden tells the story. She was asked the question, what's the funniest thing that ever happened on the set of I Dream of Jeannie? And she said, well, Larry Hagman could never mind his own business and do what he was asked to do. He always had to do it his way. And she said, so one time we were doing a famous scene, and a lot of people remember it, with the lion. All of a sudden, the genie blinks, and the lion comes on the stage, and then she blinks again, and the lion goes away. She said, well, I'd worked with lions before. To do that, you've got to have a real lion. That's not fake, that's a real lion. But she said, I'd learned something from a movie I was in. When they get a lion, it's always a male lion. She said, you want to know why they do a male lion? They're big, fat, and lazy. Second thing, they make sure the lion is well-fed. So you have a well-fed lion. And she said, the third thing is, and you get instructed on this, you have to go make friends with a lion ahead of time. You're told to do that. Just sit down, sit with the lion, the lion learns that you're okay. So she said, I remember reminded Larry after i had spent some time with a lion, Larry, you need to go make friends with a lion. Stay in your lane, that's what you're asked to do. I'm not gonna go make any friends with any lion, was his response. She said, well, here's something you need to know. Lions are like kittens, only they're 800 pound kittens. And what happens if you take a little kitten and you bounce a ball in front of it? Kitten wants to play with it. The difference is when a human being is that ball, you know, bouncing in front of it, lion can do quite a bit of damage. So she said, I'd learned to do what I was asked to do. He always thought he knew better. So we get on the set. Larry has not seen the lion yet. He comes out, he sits down, he goes, the lion roars. Larry Hagman gets terrified. Runs, screams, all the men, she goes, every man on that set goes ripping across the stage, knocks over the cameras, breaks the cameras, everything is is knocked down. She says, I just sat there on the couch and the lion came over, put his head on me, and started to purr. Imagine what happens when we stay in our lane. We learn to stay in our lane. We do what we're asked to do. We don't poke the bear or the lion and realize that Sabbath isn't just a Sunday or a vacation, because we have three words for those, remember? Just do it. Say it again. Just do it. But it's also working it into how we live our lives. How we live our lives. The nation of Israel, starting out as a baby country, is reminded if you're going to make big decisions, you need to give yourselves a break. Don't just run in and make that decision. I think the proverb goes like this, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. It includes keeping God present in all we do. So they took their priests and they divided them all over the nation so you could always have somebody close by so that wherever we are in our lives, we know that we can have that time with God and we we can relax and give it to God. And then we learn to stay in our lane. And enjoy the peace that God gives to us. And when things are going well, we don't upset it. We don't go there. We don't make that comment. We don't do the thing that upsets a peace. We instead, we accept and appreciate what God's given to us. And when we start to learn to make Sabbath a way of living, we learn that God is good and gives us a way to get through our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for an opportunity to open your word and to see the wisdom of how you would have us to live. Thousands of years ago, people weren't dealing with cell phones, but they were dealing with other things. And they weren't dealing with 24-hour news, but they had their own concerns. When we find these principles, these ways to live our lives, and we are just marveled that you want us to live our lives in such a way that we can trust you. Help us to find those places of rest in our lives so we can detach and turn it over to you and know that you're in control. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.